Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of Bachelors in the City And as you know, it is Black History Month So we wanted to take the time to highlight some American figures that have made a difference in our world today And today, Mr. Weber, do you know who we're talking about? We are honoring Harriet Tubman The one and only What a superhero This is the natural superhero this is this is Superwoman. She was like she was like you know before Batman was a thing. She was Batwoman. You know, like she was she the protector. She was the first superhero. I I can't express enough how much she has done. The little bit we're going to talk about doesn't even shed light on everything that she's done, which is crazy. But I did see the movie too. The movie Harriet Tubman was very good. I think I saw it last year, two years ago. This woman was just unbelievable. She was born a slave. She was a political activist born in slavery. So she had made multiple, multiple, I would even say, I mean, she rescue missions, multiple, multiple rescue missions and freed, helped free over, I don't want to put approximately a number on it, but hundreds of slaves. You know what's crazy is that, so with all of her her ventures here to, uh, to rescue enslaved people here, we... Tubman's code name was Moses. Okay. What's even crazier is yes. she was illiterate her entire life. And she was able to devise this whole plan through the Underground Rail- Railroad to rescue all the people that she rescued. They say she used stars and mosses in the woods to guide her and everyone else as they were aiding in escapes. Like that's just, that's, that's insanity to me that, that she was able to do so much good. What a true, true superhero. So much without any education. It's insane. Also, she was, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know if I remember this in the movie, but during the American Civil War, she served as an American scout and spy for the Union Army. I didn't know if I knew that. Like literally what, what couldn't this woman do? I don't think, I don't think very much. Never lost a slave. That's impressive as well. Yeah, estimates of slaves she helped range as high as 3,000. Holy moly. Incredible. That's insane. This little, this little woman was so big. You want, you, want, you want to hear how badass she was too? So she, she suffered from uh, narcolepsy and she had brain surgery to fix her sleep problems and she refused the anesthesia. Like what? <laughs> Mike, Mike drop on that what? one. She, she opted Mike instead drop. to chew on a bullet. Just like Civil War soldiers did when they had a limb amputated. Like, what? Wow. What a hero. I have nothing else to say. What a hero. Guys, whenever you're feeling sorry for yourself or you're just feeling like you're a little sick or whatnot, just just remember Harriet Tubman. Just remember everything she did and with little that she had. And yeah, I'm going to start bringing it up when I hear people bitch to me about something. If like, I got a headache, I can't. If, no. Harriet Tubman would have done it. Like that. She would have so, chewed on a bullet and um, and sucked it up. Wow. Bad that's insane. Ass. Well, shining light on her. Let's go ahead and get into our episode today. And thank you, Miss Harriet Tubman, for everything you've done and changing the world as we know it today. Thank you, Miss Tubman. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode. Another episode. Another one. Another one. We are uh, our post post Super Bowl here uh, recording session. Bachelors in the city, and we are going to bring on producer from the Bachelor. 
How about that? How about them apples, huh? <laughs> Actually, technically former producer uh, former from producer. The Bachelor. Now TV host. Now TV host. We are bringing on Naz Perez. She is an absolute gem. Didn't have the uh, the honor of getting to work with her on the show. She uh, she ended up leaving before Dusty and I got there. But uh, she's got a ton of insight, ton of info, ton of background information about the show and, and why it's so great, why everyone loves it so much. And uh, we are super stoked to have her join us today. Let's just get into it. We got some good questions for her. Let's just jump into it. All right, guys. Well, moving on from some riveting conversation about Kevin Durant's ashy ankles, <laughs> we are moving in to... Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's great to have Naz Perez on the pod with us today. Just a little backstory. We, uh, we, just, we just met maybe a couple minutes ago and uh, that came up. Guys, Google it. You'll be very shocked, but um, let's move forward. And uh, Naz, thank you so much for, for joining us. It is great to virtually... Meet you. I'm very stoked to uh, to chat today. I know. I'm so excited to meet you guys. It's always fun. Having now left working on the show, it's fun to meet because I, I watched your season and I've, I've seen both of you guys. And so it's fun to like meet in person and like get to know like the actual person, you know? Absolutely. So since we don't really know you that well and our viewers don't, give us a little eleva- elevator pitch of yourself. Yes. What's everything we should know about you? Okay. Well... So I was a producer on The Bachelor for two and a half years. So I did seven seasons consecutively. My first season was Caitlyn's season. Then I worked on Paradise season two after that, which was kind of like when Bachelor in Paradise took off. And then I worked on Ben Higgins' season and then JoJo's season and then Paradise season three. And then instead of working on Nick's season, I went to Freeform and I produced Ben Higgins' spinoff show, Happily Ever After. That's right. And then the twins, the twins, Emily and Haley Ferguson, got their own spinoff show too. So I worked on that. And then I left because I wanted to um, be a TV host. That's why I moved to LA. But I loved working on the show because I love love and I love heartbreak. And it was really amazing to like be able to interview people about love and heartbreak all the time especially someone who hadn't really experienced it for myself. Right. And so when I, when I left the show, I was unemployed. And you guys know too, it's like, you're just always on the road. So I hadn't been on a date in like two years. Like I wasn't dating and I was like, I, I really want to date. Yes. And so I ended it, up meeting this, what were you going to say? No, I, I was going to say, yeah, I totally relate. I remember, I remember uh, going through, you know, filming my season and it's, I'm sorry, guys. Oh my gosh! How rude. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. It was a, uh, it was kind of an odd feeling because everyone was so focused and so just supportive and and in a huge venture to help you know me find love, right? And everyone else who was on the show, but all those producers themselves were taking so much time out of their personal lives and the hours that you guys work are absolutely insane. I mean, literally all around the clock, very little sleep. And I just remember that being a thing. I'm like, shoot, like, I wish I could like kind of support them a little bit, you know, cause they're taking so much time just for me. But that's an interesting point you bring up. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it's wild, right? Like I traveled and lived around the world for two years. I averaged four hours of sleep a night, you know, it's like seven days a week. Once the yeah. show starts, like I always laugh cause people are always like, is it scripted? And it's like, no, like once it starts, like you're on this roller coaster till the very end. Right every single day. And so when I left, 
I hadn't really met my neighbors because I was working on the show for two and a half years. And I had met one of my neighbors twice. And she knocked on my door after I was unemployed back at home. I didn't have a job. I wanted to be a host. And she knocked on my door crying. And she was like, I really need to talk to someone. I'm going through a breakup. You know, I used to work on The Bachelor. And so I let her inside. I listened to her story. And after she told me about it, she's like, I feel so much better talking to you about it because I can't talk to my friends or family about this. And I was like, what? That's so crazy. And she's like, yeah, they're going to tell me to move on or that, you know, I, I'm so much better off without this person and I'm not ready to hear that yet. Yeah. And I was like, and after that interaction, I started to think about this concept of, whoa, we're more willing to tell strangers how we actually feel about things than our own friends and family. And then I thought back to the show and I'm like, oh, that's kind of how we interact with the cast on the that's show. So true. You know what I mean? Like you guys come in. And you're, you're not really used to people interviewing you about your feelings and you're talking to someone, mm -hmm. you know, we're basically soundboards for your feelings. And it's, it's, there's, it's this non-judgmental space because we right. don't know you. We didn't grow up with you. We're not your friends or family, you know, so there's, there's safety in that. And so I thought about that concept. And then a couple months later, I went through a heartbreak of my own for the first time, like for real. And I fell into an acute depression. I was like, oh my God, like... I was having nightmares. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I, uh, it was just mentally consuming. And I was also unemployed. And I think I really put my sense of self-worth and happiness into like having a job and like this other person that I was dating. Mm -hmm. And so I started going to therapy and therapy. I don't know if you relate, if either of you guys relate to this, but like I'm Dominican and like for me growing up, therapy was like for rich white people. And so my mom's like, oh, you're going to therapy, like go to church, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> therapy's like $200 a session. Right. And I was like, I don't know a lot of people that have $800 a month to feel better. Like this is yep. wild. And so then I started to research, like, how do I make this feeling go away? And I came across all this research that states that the same part of your brain that lights up when you're going through physical pain is the same part of your brain that lights up when you're going through emotional pain. And I was like, what? Like, this can feel like a gut to the stomach when you're going through heartbreak. Sure. And it's really any type of heartbreak, not just romantic. Because mm -hmm. when we think of heartbreak, we think like a girl getting dumped by a guy, but that's not what heartbreak is. It's, it's racial injustice. It's your dog dying. It's losing your job. It's having a miscarriage. Like the literal definition of heartbreak is overwhelming distress. And so, and then I thought it's so crazy that like, if I get in a car accident or if I'm physically ill, I can go to the doctor, get a doctor's note, call my job, be like, Hey, I can't make it. And they'll be like, yeah, you know, take a couple days off. But if you're going through heartbreak, like all those things I mentioned, mm -hmm. racial injustice, miscarriage, whatever it is, the, the list goes on and on, whatever's causing overwhelming distress, we all have to wake up the next day and resume life as is. And I'm like, this is wild. Yep. So... I went to AA and Al-Anon and I started studying these support group formats. And long story long, I started a support group for people that are heartbroken called Heartbroken Anonymous. And it's not a 12-step program. It's just a place where people come and listen and share stories of heartbreak and remind each other that they're not alone in a setting with other strangers where you feel like you can actually say what you're feeling. And so I've been doing that for the last four years. And now I also am a TV host for Rotten Tomatoes and E and the Dodgers. And I have a podcast with Ashley I called I Don't Get It. And so that's kind of my... That would have been a long ass elevator ride, but I guess. Hey, it's I, I, I love it. That's uh, that's so awesome though, that you uh, that you started that heart heartbroken anonymous. I mean, it's so interesting. You say it, just bringing me back to the show, and it's 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 honestly 
I remember looking at it, like you said, the first time you ever get interviewed by a producer, it's just like, this is just, this is weird. This doesn't feel normal. I'm not used to this, like the whole setting. And like, you see like the bachelor normal, um, you know, backdrop that you see on TV, but it's just, it's very unnatural at first. But then as you go through it, mm-hmm. it honestly, it was like two months of kind of free therapy and having someone, it's so, so, so odd to confide in someone, like you said, you have no idea who they are. They're a complete stranger and you're just opening up everything, your heart and just like trying to be as vulnerable with them as possible. And obviously they're pushing you to do that, but it's very odd. And that's why I think though, because I became very close and, you know, still I'm pretty close with a lot of producers on the show. You become really good friends and like you truly feel like they have a vested interest in you and like your heart and, and, and the success. But it's, yeah, it's definitely a, it's a good, good comparison there with therapy. So I guess, yeah, like two, two free months of, of getting just that. And I, I want to say, I, you're really onto something too with this. Like, I feel like there's something big. Um, people would pay big money to go to a, an ex-bachelor producer about their love life, I feel like. <laughs> so, That's true. I mean, I feel like there's something really big here. Thanks. You know? Well, the thing is, is that- You should I'm- bring on other other producers on onto your team. Oh, I love that, Dustin. Well, first of all, shout out, Peter, what you were saying. Shout out to um, Julie LaPlaca, who was like one of my first friends when I was working there. Jules, she she was mine on the, on the Bachelor, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Julie's the best, but- yeah, the thing is, Dustin, is I don't, I'm not a licensed therapist, right? Like, and I'm not, I tell people all the time, the meet, you don't come to the meeting to get advice. It's very much the opposite mm-hmm. of that. It's more to, a place to feel seen, heard, and validated. It's okay to not be okay. I have other people moderating meetings too, because I'm not, a, I'm not licensed in anything. It's really just like a place where you can come and, and say how you feel. And I think that that can be really cathartic and healing, you know, because there's no crosstalk allowed, but you're able to connect. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool seeing people walk in as strangers and leave as friends. But yeah, exactly what you guys were saying. People don't understand how close we get to to the cast. Like it is like a family, like every friend that I made on the show, I've been to their wedding, like they have kids now. And it's really awesome to have been there like the first day they met someone, you know, and like, yeah, you, you're, you're there from, if, if it, if it's something that works out, you're there from the beginning and it's a, it's a cool, unique uh, relationship to have speaking, you know, specifically on the show, obviously, you know, you probably know better than anyone. There are are limits to what can be, can be said and what can't be said, but would love to get kind of your perspective on the other side as a producer about working on the show, what what it was like being part of production. I guess my first question that I'm curious about, like you just said, yeah, you don't you you don't have any credentials, I guess, to be like to be a therapist. I get that, but what what is involved in getting on the show as a producer? Is there like a training that goes that goes on before you go on your first season? Are you shadowing people? Like, are they just vetting you in an in interview to see, oh, this person seems like they can, you know, they can chat. They're very, uh, you know, get along well and they can kind of pull, pull emotions out of people. What's involved in becoming a producer on the show? I love that. I love this question. And I think, I think why the show is so successful and I think I can really just narrow it down to one thing is they hire humans. Mm-hmm. I think you just have to be a human first. Yeah. I think it's a lot of, I think it's a lot of not that other external stuff, you know, because I came in and I was working at E at True Hollywood Story. I, w- I was laid off. And before then I worked at the Ellen DeGeneres show. Yeah. And so I had no experience in reality television. But I remember watching Juan Pablo season and I was like, yo, they are like in Seoul, you know, like the travel is unbelievable. Yeah. I love traveling. I love love. 
And reality TV was just popping off at that time. I was like, if I want to pay my rent, I need to work in reality. And so I met one of the line producers and then an executive producer. And I met with them and I was like, listen, I've never worked in reality, but these are all the dream dates that I would love to go on. Yeah. And I love love. And I think at the end of the day, they just sensed that I was a human, right? Because it, it's such a... <clears throat> we parody it and people make fun of it. And there's a million podcasts and a million TV shows and a million it's, you know, it's been, it's on, it's an SNL skit. Yeah. Like the bachelor is so huge, but I think at its core, it is such a human experience to open yourself up vulnerably, not just to 20 people or 30 people you've never met before, but to the world. Yep. And <clears throat> that's fucking terrifying. And I think that's why people, we love watching it because when someone's crying in the back of a van and they're like, I just want to feel like I belong. I just want to feel seen. You are at home on your couch and you're just like, yes, me too. This is how I feel. And so and many people can relate to that. Yeah. And never, ever do we get to see. It's like, you're just sitting. I mean, my job was so, I loved working there because it's like, think about if you had a best friend, Dustin, and like, if they went on a date and you were just like, you went to that same restaurant, you know, and you were watching from like another table. Yeah. <laughs> like that's literally what it is, is you, I learned so much about love and how people, yeah. how people's minds change, you know, how you could be like, I'm so into this person. Yeah. And then you talk to them for five minutes and maybe their breath is off, right? Like maybe they had, I don't know, fucking sardines. I can't think of anything right now. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, I don't really like them anymore. And you're just like, what? <laughs> like, it's so capricious, the, the nature of how we fall in love and, and how we get rejected and, and what we're comfortable with and whether people are comfortable receiving love. Yep. It's really easy to give love. And Peter, I don't know if you can speak to this, but as the lead, sometimes it can be really uncomfortable to receive it, right? When people are like, you're amazing. You're like, oh, am I amazing? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's, it is the gooeyest, warmest, <laughs> most awkward, coolest thing to be behind the scenes of. And the last thing I'll say is I tell people all the time, as much as people make fun of it <clears throat> or think, I mean, now it's a little different because of social media, right? I, I really feel like I was in a golden age with like the seasons I worked on because I think people were Instagram. Yeah, you were on some as, great quality seasons there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because I was there. No, there I'm you kidding. go. I, know. <laughs> um, I think it's incredible because these days dating, speaking as like a single woman that lives in LA, right? When you see someone on a dating app, or when you meet someone through a friend, you can look them up on Instagram. You can literally pull up an entire dossier on how much money they make, where they work based off LinkedIn, who their best friend is, where their mom lives. Mm -hmm. You could look up everything about a person. And I think what's so special and somewhat natural in this like highly unnatural environment that is The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and Bachelor in Paradise yeah. is somebody walks out of a limo and you have no idea who they are. You don't know how old they are. You don't know if they have kids. You don't know how much money they make. And I think there's so much magic in, in really just getting to know someone without having known or based, created your own preconceived notions about them before meeting them. And I think that's why the show is so fucking dope. And I love it. Yeah. It, it's like, uh, it's crazy. There's two ways to look at it. You know, in the day and age, I, I personally believe that social media is kind of hurting the show a little bit. It's affecting it just for, you know, motives of coming on. And you kind of can't get away from that just because that's where we're at. But 
it's also really cool that in today's day and age with that, the show is like, it offers a very unique medium, like you said, to meet someone maybe kind of like in a more old fashioned sense and not have all these preconceived notions, not know anything. I remember when I was getting ready to go film my season, I had, you know, I had a couple friends, you know, from high school, they were huge fans of the show and like, they were super excited and they were like, oh my God, like all the spoilers are out. Like we got, we have, you know, we have, I was like telling everyone, like, don't tell me anything about these girls. I want to meet these people for the first time, like very uh, organically. And like, they're like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like we, we were pretty sure like reality, Steve, whoever was Good releasing it. And I was, it was, it was tough. <clears throat> I'm not gonna lie. It was tough. There was, there's actually two girls. Uh, I've actually never told him this. There was two girls that they, one of my friends, I was a little pissed, but one of my friends sent me the pictures and I ended up seeing it. And then of course I couldn't like, my curiosity couldn't stop. So then I dug in to, to research. It was actually one person was Hannah Ann. And then the second person was a girl that didn't, she didn't actually make it on. She was like from San Diego. But anyways, I couldn't hold back once they actually sent it to me. But for the most part, I, I went into it not knowing anything about anyone. Right. And that's, it was a really cool, unique experience to meet someone. And, and just speaking kind of on what you said before too, the show, I think truly, because I'm the same as you, like I love, love, love watching people. You know, I was a big fan of the show before I was a part of it. And the opportunity that this show allows, and I think it was the first real show to do it, to allow people to truly live vicariously through someone else searching for love and finding what is the most beautiful gift in the world is it's, it's a thing that never gets old. And the show will never get old for people because of that exact reason. And then of course, mm -hmm. you know, the drama stuff keeps it a little spicy too, but yeah, there's a reason it's so successful and it's been on for so many years. Another thing that we don't talk about either is the lack of texting when you're dating someone on the show, yeah. right? Like when we meet people in real life now, there's so much texting back and forth. And I think so much gets lost in translation. So true. And on the show, you have to say whatever you're feeling face to face. You have to like look people in the eye and you have to say it. And I wonder if that's also why, not I wonder, I know that's why connections form so quickly. Yeah. Because people get really... um weary of like how fast the process is, but they don't realize how two months being off your phone and just human to human face-to-face yeah. -face contact can feel like six months in the real world, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's no fluff. You have no fluff. You're not going to work every day. You're not hanging out with your other friends. You're just focused on that relationship. And yeah, like you said, no texting, no playing games really. It's like just what, fast forward. What I always would tell people is, you know, going on Yes, it's a very accelerated process and, you know, can it work? I, I still believe it, it can, you know, I do. It, it didn't work for me, but I do believe it can work. And it's obvious that, you know, there are people that have had success stories, but you go into it with the mindset that first night, there, the intention and the intentions behind why you're there are on the table. And there's no, there are no games. You're showing up that first night to meet that person and see, okay, let's, let's possibly start dating here and start a relationship and see if there's something there. It's another thing, like in the real world, you just, you never get an opportunity to be so intentional with someone right off the bat without it coming off. Like, oh, this is weird. This guy or this girl is a little too much or too clingy, like whatever, like they're going too hard. It's the really the only, it's like an excuse to allow that to see, okay, is there something here? And yeah, it's two months, it's quick, but it has worked, you know? Yeah. Can I ask you guys a question? I know this yeah, is course. like your podcast, but um, as someone who's been around a lot, I've heard a lot of stories of heartbreak and I've dated a lot. And I, my fa I, I really enjoyed working on The Bachelorette because it is really fascinating as a hetero woman to, to see 25 to 30 men open up and talk about emotions. Because I think that that's something 
the world we live in isn't really built to support men to do that. And that's what I love about that environment. Yeah. What did you guys learn about yourselves emotionally coming out of that experience? Oh, man. I realized I wasn't really good at communication before I went on the show. And going on the show, you really, with you guys, the producers, you really like, it was such a nice way of just like therapy of just speaking out how you felt every day. Every day you had to go through it. Speak about how you felt and talk about what you're feeling and what, what do you want and what you don't want. And I took those tools afterwards and applied them um, in real life. I never, I never communicated like I did on the show. I don't know. I don't know if that's your question, but that's... No, 100%. 100% that was my question. Yeah. I, I would say for me, honestly, I, I would say for me, it actually... I don't know if I learned anything new about myself in regards to expressing my emotions. I feel like I've always naturally been someone that I've been very in touch with my feelings like my whole life and I've never had issues like expressing myself. I think if anything, it just affirmed, gave me a great aff- affirmation that, you know, I can continue to do this and the show just pushes you to do that in such a, a, a beautiful way. It just, yeah, it just gave me, you know, confirmation and more confidence to to obviously publicly, publicly do it. And that was, you know, I think one of the the best things I got from the show is that that extra confidence to continue doing that. Yeah, I think what's cool too is that it you have to have or achieve the ultimate clarity on the show of what you want. And I don't think a lot of us as humans ask, ask ourselves, what do I want? Like, what do I want? (laughs) And, and when you're going through that process, you have to really get really clear on what it is you want. And I think a lot of us move around. I'm guilty of this too, where I'll go on a date and like, someone's kind of muddy. They're like, uh, and I'm like, uh, all right, I'll match that energy. Like, I guess maybe we can like rendezvous. And, but it's like, no, I should just be clear. I want an awesome long-term committed relationship. And I think the show and the process and the questions that you get make you get really clear. Like after you kiss someone or you talk to someone and you come back and you have to answer questions, like how did you feel when they said hello? And how did you feel after they made out with you? It's like, you're like, oh, did I like that? Do I not like that? And so you really come to this, this pivotal moment of clarity on who you are and what it is you want, which I don't think you get many other places in the world that quickly. Yeah. Do you, do you still watch the show? Do you still watch the show today? That's a great question. So I'm not up on the last couple seasons. I'm always reading like headlines and stuff, but because I work for Rotten Tomatoes, I ha- I literally watch TV and movies for a living now. <laughs> and so much of it is scripted, but yeah. I haven't seen, I've heard a lot of people talking about Clayton's season. I'm curious to hear what you got, what your perspective is on it. Would you go on the show on The Bachelor? As a contestant. That's a great question. Yeah. My mom asks me this all the time. She's like, can you just go on? (laughs) I think what's so hard about this is I know it works. So a part of me is like, yes, because I know that it can work. And even if it didn't, it would bring me closer to who I need to be in order to meet my, my person. You know what I mean? Or my persons. So I think I, I think I sure. would actually, but I, it's not my preference. Like I have no interest in being okay. on a reality show. Right. It's funny because I know you got a lot of shit and, and I think 
what's really beautiful about your story is your family was so much a part of it too, which I think is, is really interesting. Like in a way that we didn't get to know many other people's like families as intimately, but it, it just gave this sort of full picture. Like people knew, like people really got inside your world, Peter, in a way that people don't really get to see in, in anyone on television. And I think that's, yeah, I'm super jealous. I wasn't on your season is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> we just, we, ju- we just missed out. No, it would have been. Mm-hmm. I, I got a quick, quick question. So when you were a producer, could you weed out the people that were just full of shit, just like playing the game? Like, oh, this person is so full of shit right now. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're able to answer that question or not, but yeah. I, I'm just kind of curious because because we partner up a lot with Game of Roses and mm. they've gamified the the show yeah. and they've just come up with a new book on you know how to win the bachelor and right. i'm sure it's selling out like crazy which people have been playing this game for a while just to be on the show mm-hmm. get far enough gain followers and just make a new life what are you able to were you able to point out those bullshitters from the get-go or did it take time or? I love this question so much. Reason being is because I interview a lot of actors for work. And when an actor plays like a villain, right? Like for example, let's take Joaquin Phoenix being the Joker. I'm never going to ask Joaquin Phoenix like, oh my God, isn't the Joker crazy? Mm -hmm. And the reason is because Joaquin Phoenix doesn't think the Joker is crazy because he had to be the Joker, which means you can't judge that person. You have to justify why people are doing things. So to answer your question, it, it was the same way I would approach being on The Bachelor. If someone comes on and maybe to the average person, they feel like they're saying a bunch of things to sort of be salacious and deep down, Dustin, that person wants to wants to be loved and wants to feel like they belong. And that is coming out of something, right? Maybe they didn't feel that way in childhood, You know what I mean? Maybe they feel like this is their time to shine. Maybe they really want to feel like they belong. It's all, we're all just humans at the core. And so for me, no one, no one is full of shit. No one's full of shit. Everyone's just navigating this thing in a different way. And how that manifests for you could be like, you could be really extroverted and then you get in the room and you're like, oh shit, like I don't like this. And then all of a sudden you're in the corner, you know, but maybe you're like the guy at work that's like the class clown. Like it's, you don't know how you're going to be until you're in, until you're in it. You guys know what it's like, like that first night when you walk in yeah, a room and all these other guys. And it, yeah. it's, it's so animalistic, right? It's who, who are you making friends with? Who, who are you not making friends with? Who do you want to be around? Who do you feel safe around? And so for me, if you are highly anxious, maybe you're just like, or you feel intimidated or you feel threatened. Maybe it's easier to be like, fuck Dustin, you know, like, I, I don't think this guy's here for real. Like I'll go to a party and I'm extrovert and I'm an introvert extrovert and I'll come home and I just have hangovers from being a human. I'll call my friend and I'm like, Ugh, was I just like, did I say this weird? Like, was I weird at the party last night? You know, we all have human hangovers. And so it's just sort of a bigger human hangover right. to have to watch it in front of like millions of other people. But at the end of the day, you're just, you're just being human and you can't fault yourself for that. Human hangover. I like that. That's uh, I like that the word. The human, yeah. human hangover. That is good. Naz, I guess, uh, so you, you said that you are come from a Latino community. Mm-hmm. You are uh, Dominican, yeah? Mm-hmm. So yes. my mom, um, uh, you know, I'm Cuban as well, and have that, those uh, those roots. My mom's always, uh, 
always had this, you know, I, I use it on a show, honestly, a lot. I talked about it, just lessons I've learned from my mom, from my grandmother, you know, mm-hmm. throughout my upbringing and uh, specifically in relationships and just leaned on them a lot. What has been, so I can, I can kind of relate to you and I can assume that you probably have done the same. What has been some advice or some of the best advice that you've received from a woman in your family when it comes to love? I love this question. Thank you for that. Yeah, I think, I don't know if you, if your mom ever said this to you because we're both from the Caribbean, but when I was little, my mom, (laughs) she would recite this Spanish sort of poem whenever I got hurt or whenever I fell down or, you know, whenever, you know, she was about to, to put Vic's vapor rub on me, I guess. Um, <laughs> she would say, she would say, sana, sana, colita de rana, si no se sana hoy, se sana mañana. And basically what that translates to in English is like heal, heal, little tail of the frog. If it doesn't heal today, it'll heal tomorrow. And I think in retrospect, when I look back, I think in, I, you know, it was just like, you're going to heal one day, you know, and, and then there's this temporariness and this necessariness to heartbreak. And there's this, this two shall passness to it. And I think I really got that from my mom when she would say that to me whenever I was hurt because she was right. And, and so I think she was just telling me to not worry about it so much and to feel it and to process it and, and you'll heal. Is there anything that you're, that you guys have gotten from family members or close friends that's like resonated with you? I, I have a my I have one that's you know very similar you know and I've said it a couple of times in the show from my mom and it came from my grandmother and it was kind of along the same lines of and it can be real you know applied to relationships or heartbreak or, or whatever it may be but it's uh, niño no te desesperes deja las aguas cor- correr que lo que está para ti ni si pierde ni si muere and it's just what you know we all face certain points of uncertainty in our life and certain points of heartbreak and where, why are certain things happening or why are certain things not happening, but truly just keep the faith that what's meant for you will, will be, will be there for you. And nothing, nothing's going to mess with that. Nothing's going to disturb that or mess that up and, and just, and just keep that faith, never lose that. And so that's a, a big, a big staple for, for my life and how I live my life and being able to, to lean on that saying. That's so beautiful. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, that. I don't have any. I don't. I don't, I don't have anything like that. Yeah, thanks <laughs> for sharing yours. I love. They're, they're kind of similar too, which which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, you guys. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I no. I did. I. My family didn't come up with Dust, a you, you awesome got, cool saying <laughs> like you guys. You got something. Probably just get. Probably just get back on the get back on the horse. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> but no, but that's great well, advice. Well, it is. <laughs> hey, du- it's not romanticized like uh, your guys' <laughs> like family. Saying. We're still we're still trying to find that. We, we've been dealing with the heartbreak, and we're we're still looking for our person. Yeah. Du- Dustin's got it, so he got back on the horse, and he's in a beautiful relationship, Aww. and it's all working out. Yay, that's Dustin! True. That's, that's beautiful. True. Congratulations, man! Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's going really good, going really strong. Um, living with her right now until me and Peter get into our apartment here soon, but um. Yeah, thank you. Naz, I got one more thing um, for you. And also... Or sorry, Dustin. Oh, go ahead, Pete. Go, no, go ahead, Pete. Okay, so I didn't mean to break there. Um, so you've done Bachelor, Bachelorette in Paradise. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Is what What is... I want to hear from a producer. I've never actually asked a producer this question. What is the biggest difference between Paradise and one of the other seasons of Bachelor or Bachelorette? Yeah. Former producer. Sorry, former former producer. Former. I think the biggest difference is you're not I think you get more time with the per with people that you're dating. I think 
it is way more triggering <laughs> than the actual show is okay. because you can build a connection and then someone can come in and you can be like, oh, actually, I want to get to know this person. But I think because there's no travel involved and it's all in one place, I think that also lends itself to, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I think you can be more present maybe and not get not get maybe um, lost in like the background. But I do not think as many that distractions. traveling. Yeah, but I also don't want to call it a distraction because I think you know walking down a cobblestone street in Barcelona can can also lend itself to a really beautiful environment to fall in love too. I think they're just different. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I also think I also think what's funny is you. It's kind of like living with someone because uh, you know this. The lead on The Bachelor and Bachelorette never, they don't, they don't sleep in the same place that the rest of the cast does. Mm-hmm. And in Paradise, you're kind of, you know, maybe you're seeing the girl you're into without her extensions in, you know, maybe you're seeing the guy you're into right when he wakes up, you know, and he can't dab a little concealer under the eyes. It's, it's a little more grunge in that way, which I like. No, it's true. I feel you on that. I like it. Well, good stuff. Naz, thank you. We're- Oh yeah, sorry. Do you, do you have one more thing, Dusty? <laughs> no, I was gonna no. I was gonna ask real quick, like since we're wrapping up, mm-hmm. I uh, just wanted to see where everyone could find Heartbreak Anonymous. Yes, and uh, learn more about it and whatnot. Thank you. Yes, so it's Heartbroken Anonymous, um, and you guys can go to heartbrokenanonymous.com. Heartbroken, sorry. No, you're good. And uh, we run two virtual meetings a month, so you can live anywhere in the world and connect with people on Zoom, which has been really beautiful. We're in this epidemic of loneliness, and I don't think people talk about it enough. I think people are... There's a lot of shame around admitting that you're lonely. And I think under violence and depression and anxiety and heartbreak is loneliness. And so Heartbroken Anonymous is really an anti-lonely, lonely club in my eyes. You can come, say how you actually feel, feel seen, heard, validated, maybe make a new friend. And sometimes our friends and family are sick of hearing about it. And what I love about it too is that there's no algorithm to a breakup or to heartbreak. And so I remember someone came to a meeting and they were like, I'm grieving this breakup 25 years ago. And I'm like embarrassed to talk to people about it because it was so long ago. And I don't believe that there is an algorithm. I don't think it's like, oh, you dated someone three months. So times two, six months from now, you'll be over it. Healing is not linear. So... I'm also running in-person meetings here in Los Angeles. I've done a couple pop-ups in New York. So maybe you guys can come check one out next time I do one. Absolutely. But yeah, I'm on Instagram at Naz Perez, N-A-Z-P-E-R-E-Z, and at heartbroken underscore anonymous. And yeah. Now, I love that. Naz, I love I love what you stand for. I love just your your whole perspective on everything and on the show and on love. And just you, you obviously seem so perfect for that world. And there was obviously a reason that you were so involved with it. They should have... Uh, I should have given you a a chance at the uh, the bachelor or bachelorette hosting gig. I'm just gonna throw that out there. I think uh, I think you could have oh, killed the it. Hosting gig? <laughs> oh my god, I would have loved. You know what's so funny that you say that is now being a host and I just did my biggest interview of my career to date. I interviewed the cast of the Batman last week in person, all five of them together for 20 minutes. No way. 
And yeah, and I'd never done like five people in person before and it's kind of hard, you know, sort of to navigate, but I, I loved it so much and I, I love connecting that in my eyes, I was like, it'd be really cool to bring old people back and have like bachelor reunions because people love men tell all, women tell all, but can we bring like old people back, see how they're doing, see if they're married now, who they're dating. And I would love, love to host something like that. I think that would be really fun for me. That would be a great idea. Yeah. Right? I could definitely. I, I think I remember them saying they were going to do after for Matt's season. Uh, I think he was he was the twenty fifth, and they're going to do like a special twenty fifth anniversary edition or bringing back a lot of people. But then I think the whole COVID thing messed that up. But love that idea. So maybe in the future you could uh, host that. I think you'd do a great job. Aw, thanks. And thank you guys so much for having me. It was such a pleasure meeting you guys. And thanks for letting me spread the word about Heartbroken Anonymous too, because that's the hardest. I think that's the hardest thing for me is just like letting people know it exists. So I really appreciate you guys having me on um, and letting me talk about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We loved having you on. Thank you so much. Yeah, Naz, this has been a treat. Thanks so much. Bachelors in the City is hosted by me, Peter Weber. And me, Dustin Kendrick. This podcast is produced by Red Rock Music and powered by Acast. Our producer is Red Yoakum and our associate producer is Emma Martins. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Send your voice memos to btc at redrockmusic.com. That's btc at redrockmusic.com for your chance to be featured on the show. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Bachelors in the City Podcast. See you next week. Thanks for listening and sign up for our membership program to become a honorary third roommate. Join now for $3 per month and enjoy the episodes ad-free. Click the link in the episode description so you can move in.